Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Amen. If you can, you may be seated. If you're able. <laughs> if you're visiting with us, we actually do most of our worship at the end um, so we can respond to God's word. And so at the end of the sermon, there'll be a chance and people ready to pray with you um, for us to respond to God. Maybe you came in with a need need prayer for, maybe something gets stirred up during the sermon. Either way, um, we're Pentecostal, so we, um, <coughs> we're, <laughs> we're kind of opposed to the idea of just stacking information on information. We think we should do something with it. Like, let's actually do something with it. Purpose to do that. And so um, there's ways for us to respond to God and to his word. We can respond at the end with worship. We can respond by coming and receiving prayer, praying for others, or um, there's gifts of the spirit in the house. And every single believer in the house has his kingdom without measure, which means we all get to do the Jesus stuff, right? And this is the right place to practice the Jesus stuff because we want you to leave here and do the Jesus stuff. So you get to practice it here. So we'll have a chance. We'll have a chance to respond to the Lord at the end of the word. We are in the Advent season. Yes! Advent is my favorite favorite time of year. So if you're not familiar with the idea of Advent um, and the Advent calendar, there's specific things that you preach on every single year. And it starts with hope, and then it moves to faith, then it moves to joy and peace and love. Um, so very specific topics, which we talk about, um, um, and those really feed on each other, right? You can't have faith until you have hope. You've actually got a hope that God can do it before you believe he will do it, right? right? I believe he can do this. I believe he's in this. And now I can believe specifically in faith for this, right? So hope is kind of the, it's the engine. Faith is the fuel. And then joy is the spark that starts the engine. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? right? So once he gets our heart set on the right thing, our hope is now in him. My hope is not in uh, you, you're going to treat me well, so I'll have a good day. My hope is in him, right? My hope is not in I hope my boss really, really likes me or I can manipulate things so I can get that raise I need, that thing I whatever. My hope is in him as my source. My job is a resource and God has lots of resources. So my hope is in him. So I get my hope straight, right? And then I know what to apply my faith to and now there's all kinds of room for joy. Because all the other stuff that I had my hope in was stealing all my joy. Because those things aren't dependable and they were never meant to satisfy me. They were never meant to supply me. He is my supply. So now, once I get all that stuff straight, now there's all this room for joy. Because my life is no longer dependent on whether or not you're nice to me, whether or not, right, this thing goes well, the economy is up or down. So now there's this place for joy to take root, and the joy of the Lord becomes our strength to actually see the thing through. And then we have all this room for peace and love to move out of us, right? If I'm dependent on Todd to treat me well today, or Todd to come up afterwards and say, that was the best sermon I ever heard, that was the best, and if he does not, I kind of feel like, did I do good enough? Was I good enough, right? If I'm dependent on that, then where's, where's there room for any kind of peace and love in my life? I can give love when I feel loved. That's how it works. 
right? But if I know I'm loved by God, there's always room for me to give love. Whether you love me or not, whether Todd, now I can use Todd because he's always encouraging, right? So that's, that's a good example. But I'm just saying, if Todd was like, that's the worst sermon I ever heard, I can still love Todd. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because the reservoir that that love is coming from didn't get supplied by Todd. It got supplied by, by God, right? So I'm not in this world where like every action has an equal reaction, right? I'm not living like that. If I'm loved, I can love. If I'm, if I'm treated well, I, I feel important. I already know who I am in Christ because my hope is set in him. You with me? So all these things fit together. Hope and faith, joy, peace, love, all these things fit together. So that's awesome about Advent. The other really cool thing about Advent is it looks back to what it means for Christ to come and for people to have waited for a very long time, right? So the Advent season is about that waiting in the dark, waiting in the quiet until the incarnation. When you read the Old Testament, it's full of language like, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? When will our salvation come? Right? And then Christ comes. But all those people waited. And there's this language in Hebrews like all the prophets, all the people of old never got to see. They believed for it, but they never got to see what we get to see now, which is Christ triumphant, making all things new. And we get to partner with him in that. But the advent is the waiting. We remember there was a waiting right? And between Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and between the birth of Christ, there's 400 years of famine for hearing the word of the Lord. And those people hung on to hope and waited. Anna in the temple, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus' birth, there's Anna who's in the temple, she's an old woman, waiting for him. She's like 100 years old. Think about, in all that 100 years, there was never a word of the Lord. But she hung on to what he had said 400 years before. You know what I'm saying? There were people who were like, there was a promise and I'm not letting go of it. Happened in the dark, happened in silence. They held on waiting for the incarnation of Christ. Whew, that's good stuff. This idea of us taking time to say, what does it look like? What are we waiting on the Lord for? How do we keep our hope in him? So just all of Advent is awesome. So we started with hope last week, and I got some really good feedback from the sermon last week, um, which was, hey, good sermon. It <laughs> started with that, although I was good before that. I'm just saying. <laughs> but then it said, hey, but what about when you're like deep in the rabbit hole? Like we can all say it's good to hope in the Lord, but what about when you're already depressed? Like how do you actually, how, what does it look like to actually make that choice and do that? What about when you're already in despair? What about when you're already in a place where you're like, man, I'm contending, but I'm not seeing it and I'm discouraged, right? Or what about when you're in a situation where you're like, it feels like my situation can't change till this person changes or till my finances change or till this circumstance moves. So you feel powerless. You know what I'm saying? Like, what about when you're there? How do you actually, am I saying it right? How do you actually um, make those choices? What does it look like? And so um, we decided that we would do a little testimony today. Like, 
that people could actually share times where they have had to put their hope in Christ and what it looked like to kind of fight through that, fight for it. How many of you know, if you have to fight for it, it's not because you're not a good Christian or you'd just be riding the wave all the time, right? <clears throat> yeah, look in the Old and New Testament. There were people that had to contend for it. It wasn't just like, oh, they're doing it right. That's why they're always happy every single day. Like, there's times you have to say, I know this is where God has for me, but I'm not there. And I've got to contend to get to a place of belief. I've got to contend to get to a place of hope. I've got to contend to get to a place of faith. And sometimes when that's where you're at, you can feel like you must be doing it wrong. Even just not a good Christian, or I'd already be at this place right? I think about times like, think about Paul when he's in prison, which has got to be a little difficult. There's times he's in prison like with Silas where they're worshiping and the jail, the jail, the doors pop open and it's this huge miracle. And there's times when he was in jail where he sounds kind of sad, where he's like, hey, um, can you send a coat and my books? And maybe you could send Timothy. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's just points where he sounds like maybe he's having to contend for it. So what does that look like? So let me just set us up, especially if you weren't here last week, for hope. So what does it look like to hope in the Lord? Well, hope is the first thing. Hope comes before faith. It comes before you've got something to apply joy to and, and all those other things. Hope comes first. And so hope is the place where the enemy will stop you. This is where he wants, this is the thing he's going to attack because if he can stop you here, you never make any more progress. You're done, right? And so he will show you all the reasons why you can't hope in the Lord. He'll show you all the unanswered prayers. He's never going to remind you of all the things he's done, but he'll remind you of all the things that are undone, right? He'll remind you of why you're just so powerless. I mean, you've got the boss you've got. You've got the spouse you've got. You don't have a spouse, right? All these things that feel like they're other people's decisions— and it will, right, there'll be this temptation to put your hope in those things. Well, I guess nothing can move until this person makes a different decision or this circumstance changes. But that's not true. It can feel true when you're in it. It is true if you're not inviting God into it. Then people do have all kinds of power over your life. But you know what? Once you say my life is yours and I'm putting my hope in you and you switch perspectives, I get to make choices. Come on. Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So he's leading us to a place he has already been. Um, have you heard the um, redo of the song? Um, oh, what's the name of it? Ain't No Grave. Have you heard the newest version? Ain't No Grave. Gonna hold this body down. Right? Ain't No Grave. So going to the grave, if Jesus walked out, I'm walking out too. <laughs> yeah. Come on, right? Everywhere he's, in, he's, he's leading us to go, he's gone there before us. And he's been victorious in those things. 
and then handed us the authority that he won. Right? Hope is the confident expectation of good. Right? My hope, this confident expectation of good is in Christ. That's the anchor of my hope. Not a person, not my finances, not my circumstance. The anchor of my hope is Jesus. My confident expectation of good is rooted in him. Right? 2 Corinthians 2 tells us that all of God's promises are yes in Christ and the church is the amen. amen. All of God's promises are yes in Christ and amen through the church, meaning all the promises were fulfilled in Christ and now they continue to be fulfilled through us. He was the yes, worthy the amen. Your life gets to be the amen to everything Jesus did. Come on. That's so good. We have reason to have a confident expectation of good. Are bad things going to happen to you even if you have hope? Absolutely. Right. That's not going to stop. We live in a fallen world. But I get to move through all those things with hope. Because I'm not just thrown about my circumstances. He has ordered my steps. And if I'm in a storm, he knew I'd be walking through it. And he'll never leave me or forsake me. He knows the way through the storm. That's why I'm not letting go. Right? Okay. So, um, as we come to a point of testimonies today, I want us to think about that, especially if it feels like right now you're in the dark and you're in silence. Because Advent's all about waiting in the dark and waiting in silence. I love this um, um, Barbara Brown Taylor, this quote from her. She says, new life starts in the dark, whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in a womb, or Jesus in the tomb. It starts in the dark. So even if you feel like you're at the bottom of a pit, even if you feel like hope sounds great, I believe the in principle this is all true, but man, my heart can't even grab hold of it just because of the circumstance I'm in. Maybe it's out of choices I've made or choices that seem are somebody else's to make and I'm, and I'm not able to, you know, I feel powerless in the situation. Whatever it is, if you find yourself in that place where hope seems really out of reach, you find yourself in the dark, just know that in the dark is where the seed gets planted to bring you to the place you need to be, right? All the good stuff starts in the dark. All the good stuff. And think about this, this idea of dark. Just something I've thought about for the past couple of years, it's been in my mind, about like during the day, when everything's flooded with light, you can't see that far. We think we see by light, but really, if you look up in the sky, you can't see as far as you can see when it's dark. When it's dark, you can look up and you can see like the whole universe. You can see so far in the dark. And I do think sometimes when you're in the dark, what we learn of God in the dark, when we have to actually press through to a place of hope, we can see so much further. Like he's so much bigger than we realized. His plans are so much greater than we realized because we can feel the pain of how really bad this world is and how really terrible we can treat one another. You know what I'm saying? We can feel the depth of that. And in feeling the depth of that, when his goodness comes and pulls us out of it, we realize, oh my word, he's so much better than I thought. He's so much greater than I thought. 
You know what I'm saying? And you can't really see that when things are good. When things are good, you see all the things that are good around you. But you know what I'm saying? There's a depth of things you see when you're in the dark. And so I just want to say, if you're in that place in the dark, you hear these testimonies, let God begin to speak hope to your heart. Let God begin to stir it up. Don't dig your heels in. Hmm. Sometimes we're in that pit. We're in there with so many resentments and so much frustration about what we've endured that we're like, you know, until this is made right and that's made right and that's made right, I'm not getting out of this pit. Have you been in that pit? Right? And Jesus is like, there's a rescue helicopter and he's climbed down and he's like, come on, right? There's, he's right there. But we're like, no, there's this and this and this. And he's like, those things that are keeping you here are so small compared to where I want to take you. Count it as loss and receive what I want to give you. Come on. Come on. Anybody ever been kept down by resentments and unforgiveness? Right? I've read, it's, it's everyone in the room. Anyone who has not been kept, right? Right? And when you actually turn a corner where you're like, you know what, God? I'm not living under this anymore. I'm not looking to get payback anymore. I'm not looking for the I'm sorry anymore. That's what forgiveness is. You're canceling the debt. All of a sudden, you rise and you think, why did I stay under that? Right? All that time. Because where he wants to take you, listen, he's going to give you double for your trouble. That person may never make it right. That job may never make it right. But he can give you double for your trouble. He'll repay. He'll repay. You want to keep waiting on this joker to repay you? Who? Listen, if someone, if someone uh, is going to repay you, would you rather have it be God or this joker who couldn't do good in the first place? You know what I'm saying? Like, whew, I'm going to align myself here and say, God, I'm trusting you. And now I'm really free to love this one because I don't need, right? I'm not hardening my heart. That's what the world tells us to do. Harden your heart, guard yourself. When you're trusting in God, your heart's actually way more open. You're able to love way better because you don't need them to do those things for you. So you can just, you're free to love people. Are you with me? Right. Listen, some of you are in a dark place because there's hope you've been hanging on to. There's a promise you've been hanging on to. And it has not happened. And hope deferred is painful, right? The Bible says it can make your heart grow kind of sick. Hope deferred. But listen, I just want to encourage you in this. There is not one promise in the Bible that didn't get challenged before it got fulfilled. Not one. Look all through the Bible. Look at Moses. Look at Abraham. Look at King David. Look at all of them. There isn't a, Noah, there isn't a promise that doesn't get challenged before it gets fulfilled. And so when you're in that dark place hanging on to the promise, guess what happens? You either give up and you shrink or you hold on so tight you're like, nothing will ever make me let go of this. Right? Right? You get tenacious in those moments so God can raise you to places you weren't ready for yet. Are you with me? Yeah. So, some testimonies. Bob and Betty are going to start us off. We're going to do some testimonies of people who have, in different circumstances, put their hope in God. Um, and these are all different, different angles, different perspectives. Um, and hopefully it helps us, stirs up in us that faith to say, God, if you could do it for them, you could do it for me. Or I could see how I can take steps. 
All right, I have a mic. I have you guys come up together. Good morning. So pastor asked me to talk about uh, hope and um, the thing that popped in my head was my greatest struggle with hope. Uh, my sister, after working hard to send her daughter to Yale, went back to U of M to finish her degree and land her dream job. She graduated with honors and hit the pavement looking for a career in her field. She is a hardworking Christian woman and we prayed for her that God would go before her, prepare the way, and that he would bless her with the right job. The months went by and lots of interviews. I prayed before, during, and after each one, and nothing. She broadened her search and applied to every job listing she found in her field across the United States. Nothing. Now I, went, I, now I want to take a minute and just tell you that I'm a simple guy and that hope has always come really easy for me. Um, I generally pray and at some point I feel a release, but that was not what was happening. Nothing was making sense to me. It was very hard for me to see someone that I cared about going through such a difficult time. Although none of this made any sense to me, I held on to God's goodness. I know God had a plan for her, and I know um, that he was not for her, not, not against her, but for her. Um, she broadened her search to past job experience, and after a total of a year and a half of having odd jobs and part-time work, she landed a good job in New York. Two weeks ago, we packed her up in a U-Haul and we sent her off. We talked yesterday and it turns out she is an $18 train ride from her daughter at Yale and they were able to spend the Thanksgiving weekend together. This was a long battle and in days gone by, people would mark the spot by stacking large rocks up to remember God's victory. This experience will be a touchstone for me. If you are experiencing hopelessness, I feel you. The struggle is real. But the pastor, as pastor said last week, your hope in God, put your hope in God alone, not your pictured outcome. Trust in his goodness, for he works all things together for the good of his children. Not done yet. Q&A, Q&A. Okay, so during this time, um, you guys had to reorient your life a little bit around this. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm praying for you, sis, on the phone. Like, so what did that look like? So we helped financially, and there was one point, you know, she's doing odd jobs, she's trying to find work wherever she can find it. Um, she became homeless, and so she actually came to live with us for a while. It was, it was a dark time, it was a dark time, and I, I think you guys can appreciate, like, when you see somebody that you care so much about, it just hurts all that much more. Like, if it was me, I could muscle through it, you know? Like, I could have the faith, and I just believe and believe, but when you're seeing somebody else mm -hmm. kind of getting drugged through it, it's really hard. That's really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, that's a crucial part of the story. As Bob was telling me the story is because I think, you know, there's a lot of things we're praying for for people. But when you start rearranging your life around other people, you're, you're seeing God's not, the answer's not coming yet. And not only is the pain because you love them, you feel like I could take the pain maybe, but for them, you feel so painful. But your own life is getting rearranged and you're thinking, God, what? what does this even look like? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, this can't happen forever. Like, where are you at this? So I just think, I love Bob's testimony because I feel like all of us are people we love who we feel like, man, God, what is happening in that situation? Yes. 
and we're believing him, we're hanging on, but it's a long road. And sometimes our own life begins to get turned upside down a bit uh, because they're not seeing the breakthrough. And so as we come along people, alongside people who aren't seeing breakthrough sometimes, that is our role is we're part of that support. And sometimes I think that can be an almost more painful place. Yeah. Like you said, you yeah. could have taken it easier than, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Okay, so I'm gonna talk for a couple minutes about one of my favorite things to talk about, which is declarations. But first, I'm gonna talk about the dark time that I was in. So, um, I have an anxiety disorder, and for a long, 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 long time, it's been well-managed, been one of those things that I can handle, one of those things I, you know, I know how to take care of. But a few years ago, I had an asthma attack, and I had a really bad reaction to a medication I took for the asthma attack, and everything was thrown off. Biochemically, everything was just wrong. It was like I had never been treated for anxiety before in my life. Everything was just like off. It was really very, very, very difficult for me, for my family. It was a very hard time. And to try to have hope because it really felt like this was going to be the new normal. Um, I remembered about declarations, which I had learned about and you know, it, I loved it when I learned it here at the assembly. And then I, as things go well, you kind of slack on things. And I renewed that in this time. And basically, the, it's not about positive thinking or don't worry, be happy. I wasn't, you know, trying to just tell myself it's okay. But the, the declarations from scripture were a way to continually be choosing to believe that what God said is true is true whether it feels true or looks true or seems true and because you know in John 8 31 and 32 it says if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free so I made a sheet of personalized declarations from scriptures and wrote some of them out creatively and I would just, I would repeat them out loud to myself. So a couple of them, just a couple examples from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And so I would, like I said, I would personalize them. So I would put my, my I would put I in them. I would, you know, make them rather than just generic because that, that was how I could declare that truth really for me. So Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I do not have to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, I present my request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And then another favorite one was from Isaiah 41.10. I do not have to fear, for God is with me. I do not have to anxiously look about, for he is my God. He will strengthen me. Surely he will help me. Surely he will uphold me with his righteous right hand. So by continually reminding myself of the truth, declaring my agreement with the truth, I developed the hope I needed, and I was able to maintain that hope in place of despair as I walked through it. And once the storm had passed, I found that continuing to use declarations in my daily life can maintain that hope for me for even more freedom and peace. 
hope that God will continue to bring me out of anxiety disordered thoughts and feelings into his clarity and peace of mind. Like Pastor Rachel said in her sermon last week, it, it really struck me. She said, if we're not conscious of God who can do the impossible, our lives will be reduced to what is possible for us to do ourselves. And I found that using these declarations, there's whole sheets of them. I mean, I know Amber passed out a sheet of declarations one year, um, maybe around Christmas. There's whole sheets of them and you can just, it, it's a really powerful way to, for me to keep that consciousness of God and what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, I seriously love talking about declarations, taught the kids about declarations. Um, if you want to talk to me, I would be happy to. Thank you, Betty. Amber and Casey, come on up. Dynamic duo. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, guys. Um, my name's Amber. This is my husband, Casey. If you guys don't know us. Um, so Pastor asked us to share about um, some things sort of I've gone through and I'm going through, and by default, my husband's going through it with me. So that's how it works. Um, <clears throat> Um, so about um, maybe four and a half years ago, um, after we had our second son, I um, started to develop um, just a lot of neurological problems in my body, and um, it took me off guard. Um, first, I hemorrhaged actually when I had him, and had sort of like a near-death experience, um, and it scared me, and I felt, just honestly, I felt like, where are you, God? Like. How could that have happened? Like, I've walked with you my whole life. Nothing like this has ever happened. I sort of started to feel like his hand was on my life and like it removed. Like he was there and somehow he left. Um, and so I went through a hard time emotionally after Winton was born. And then six months later, I started to have just really odd symptoms. Um, tremors, um, headaches, problems with my vision, just you name it. So I'm a nurse, so if anyone here is a nurse or you're related to a nurse, um, <clears throat> you know that we like to self-diagnose and diagnose you and everything else. So I started to say, well, we'd go to, I went to a few doctors and they didn't know. Um, had an MRI, blood work, all sorts of stuff. And so I decided, well, if they can't figure it out, I will. So I started to research and what I was finding wasn't um, wasn't comforting. So then I became very fearful, um, really actually bound by anxiety and fear, and I had never been my whole life. Um, <clears throat> and it got so bad that I would sit on the couch um, and like research, 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 and figure out is there a way I can get out of this? What can I do? And like I was in trying to be in control of the situation. And um, <clears throat> my husband would go to work and he'd come back, and I'd be in the same spot on the couch as when he left. I would have like gotten up and got like I did the bare minimum for my kids like they survived and they got fed and but like other than that I was like bound um, and that's what it felt like so um, it was a, a battle for a while and then um, I'd be, I would cry out to God and 
feel like he's not hearing me or what do I do? And um, finally one day my mom came over and uh, she said, hey, why don't you spend as much time as you are researching and find out what God's word has to say about this? And she had no comfort, no pity. I mean, nothing. I wanted her to hug me and tell me, you know, all that stuff. And she wasn't doing it. She just said, you're a promise from God and you will not be taken out by the enemy. Get like she was, she's the last person I expected it from because um, she was going through some stuff in her own life. And God used kind of the person I actually least expected to kind of like correct me. So I began to dig in his word and um, that's where I found hope. So I wasn't finding it in myself or a doctor or um, anything I found online or a book. I found it in his word. Um, And that's really what I feel like I have to share with you is that if you're like in a pit of despair and you feel like your situation has no hope, he doesn't just offer us hope. He is hope. Like he is our, he's our living hope. And so um, I began to find all sorts of stuff like he paid for my healing and like how people walk through stuff and he healed. Like I, I knew these things, but they never became life to me. So like you ever just sit in church and you hear like Pastor Rachel preach a message or you listen to a podcast or whatever and you're like, you're like, yeah, like you're like excited about that and you're like, I'm going to go home and like the enemy's under my feet this week and like you're so excited and then like three days later, I don't know, this and that happens and then you feel like, like it's like this kind of up and down. And what I realized is I'd never planted his word in my own heart. Like, I heard what other people said, but I never meditated on his word and let it take root in my heart. And, and then what happens is life springs from it. He, his life springs from it. So um, I, he ripped me out of, now I'm not saying I never struggle with it occasionally, but I am not in that bondage anymore. Like, I'm up, I'm doing life, I'm taking care of my kids, I'm praying for the sick. I'm like, I, I didn't need a doctor to help. I'm not saying that's ever wrong, but he did it like he ripped me off of that couch and into hope and into just like a reality of who he is um so that's kind of like the victory i've had and then the one i'm in is still like i'm still contending for things in myself we're contending for our boys food allergies um and it's hard sometimes when my my son has a reaction and i'm like man i thought by by now that would have happened Um, God has given me so many words through people that don't even know me. Like, I know he's doing it. Like, but it gets challenged all the time. Am I going to choose to believe what I know he said to me or am I not? And then um, another thing that happened during this time is he brought back to my remembrance like a prophetic word I had like, well, be 15 years ago now that I forgot at the time because at the time I was a young college kid and prophetic words were weird to me. Like, I didn't, what are you talking about? It weirded me out. And so when I got it, I, I didn't, I dismissed it. And um, God brought it back to my remembrance when I was sitting on the couch, starting to dig into his word. And, and one of it was, you will lay hands on the sick, you'll know what's wrong with him, they will be healed. And I wasn't seeking that in my life at all. And so I'm always like, he always reminds me, Amber, what have I said? What have I said? The second thing is, I'm just so excited to see the sick healed, so excited. And there's not a ton of breakthrough. Like we've had some things happen that I've never seen before, but it's not to the degree like I know in my heart that he's calling me to, he's calling us to. And um, 
And I went to this conference, and I'm thinking like, oh, Randy Clark's there. Like, that'll be cool. He's praying for impartation. I've heard so many stories of people who had that happen all of a sudden. You know, things just break in their life because someone further than them imparted to them. So I go, Randy prays for me, absolutely nothing. Other people, not me, I was discouraged. And I just sat in the corner and I was like, God, you know I'm seeking you, you know all this stuff. Some person I don't even know comes over, lays their hands on me, and he says, I just see Christ being formed in you. And the funny thing is, is God showed me this verse not that long before, and it was this. He's the parable of the sower. And Jesus said, he's talking about the places that his word, the kind of hearts, basically, that his word is going to fall on. And he says, some fell on stony places, the seed that the sower is passing out, where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And then Jesus explains that later and says, but he who received those seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And I felt like God was saying, your roots need to go down deep in me. In me. And that's where we find our joy. That's where we find our hope, our peace. But it's also where we get rooted and grounded. We get rooted and grounded in him. So that even when the promise is tested, we're like that tree. It doesn't matter. The wind blows, but we're not being uprooted. We're standing firm in him. And I just wanted to encourage you guys that regardless of where you're at, if you just crack open his word and just say, God, give me hope, be honest, I don't have any. He's so faithful to meet us. He will speak to you. He will ignite his word and bring life to you. So that's, that's my encouragement to you. So uh, pastor asked if I could uh, share maybe from a perspective of trying to walk alongside and encourage someone who needs hope. And uh, I don't want to paint a picture of something that isn't real. So it's, it's kind of discouraging at times. And you're like, man, that's really hopeful, Casey. It's discouraging. Great. I feel good now. Yes, this is great. Um, it's discouraging at times because you have a desire for something to be and you don't, you don't, um, you haven't seen it fully yet. But that's the point of hope. And so um, in, in choosing hope um, and encouraging my wife in hope, um, there's, a, there's a few practical things I hope uh, you will uh, kind of learn from too. Uh, the first one is to be grounded in truth. Because a lot of times when you're discouraged or not hopeful, you, you have to have a bedrock of truth in your life. I mean, you, you have to know where to find the truth. And obviously, we turn to God's word, and we share truth. And then uh, to go alongside that, obviously, in my relationship with my wife, but even if you're dealing with you know, any other friendship that you know, you're trying to encourage somebody who needs hope, um, you have to mix that truth with love. And uh, most of the time, I'm just delivering hard truth. <laughs> um, uh, so it's, uh, it's been a challenge for me as a husband, too, in that, that regard. You know, it's, it's interesting. Like, you don't know what challenges you're going to face when you get married. And so when you're having to walk through something you ne weren't necessarily planning on, you're like, wow, I actually have to grow up as a husband in this because, you know, my wife needs me to be secure in my faith, too. And so I, 
don't want to belabor the point, but when Amber talks about discouragement, like we can, I think it's important where you're real enough to understand, like, it's not just like, oh, I feel down. It's like weeping tears or like she said, stuck on a couch. And you're like, how do I navigate this? I, you know, this is, well, truth, God's truth and love. We've made a commitment to love each other. We've, we're receiving love from God. Um, so we turn to scriptures that were mentioned already. You know, I tell Amber all the time, uh, we're not to worry for anything. Be anxious for nothing. Because it's easy to be anxious. It's easy to worry about how the, what the future, like, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer, a petition with thanksgiving. So we've got to change your mind from worry to thanksgiving. And what do we get in exchange? We get God's peace. And so it's like, if I'm not receiving God's peace, I'm going to go back to that scripture and figure out, why am I worrying? What am I not praying about? What am I not being thankful for? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit, and, and instead of sitting in kind of a depression, I guess, we're going to try to receive peace. Now, does did that alleviate symptoms? Like, what's difficult is, it's like, it's not my symptoms, you know? And so that's what's tough, because that conversation's been had, too, as a married couple. Well, it's not going on in your body. Yeah, I, thank you. Um, <laughs> right. You know, but God's, God's truth is true for hers, it's true for me, it's true for all of us. Um, I think another one is cast your care on the Lord. He cares for you. So once again, going back to truth, do you, do you believe God cares for you? And in, in, in a pit of despair, you might not believe it, but you have to know that the truth is greater than your feeling. I had a, a youth pastor talk about faith over feelings, truth over feelings. Those, those things matter. So, like, I would, I would encourage you, if, if you're feeling despair to stop consulting your feelings so much, you know? And that's a, that's a tough thing because you're like, well, you don't know what I feel. I mean, we even had our eight-year-old, he comes home, you don't, you don't know how I feel. Yeah, okay, you're eight. <laughs> anyway, it's just like, don't consult your feelings so much because if, if your feelings are leading you to life, um, which in this case, in this topic we're talking about, they're not. They're leading you in despair. They're leading you away from the Lord away from thinking about his goodness and his grace, about his love for you. Um, and I think the, the last thing I want to I share about hope is that, you know, because hope is something we haven't, uh, we're, we're hoping for something that has not arrived yet. You know, we don't have to hope for something we already have. We're hoping for something that hasn't arrived yet. We, it's wise to choose to live one day at a time. Jesus said, each day is enough trouble of its own. Like, I don't need to live and worry about tomorrow in spite of weird symptoms and worry, are those symptoms going to be back, worse, better? Okay, I, I don't, God didn't ask us to live tomorrow today or a year from now today. I didn't say we don't need to prepare for tomorrow. It's just we don't have to live tomorrow today. And so when, if you're feeling despair, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're trying to encourage somebody who's hopeless, I just would encourage you to say, what's true? How do I express that in love? And how do we get focused on just doing the right thing today? And through that, um, you, you, gotta, you, you trust God. Because once you've done those things, you've been obedient to his word to help you, help him bring you through that. So good. Man, that's helpful. Man, that's helpful. So, three things. Three things living in hope and moving towards faith. First thing, what does the Word of God say about this situation? Covered. Thanks, Casey. What does the Word of God say? That's the first step. 
What does his word say about this? That's where you got to plant your flag. That's where you have to plant your flag. And that's where hope begins to spring from. Um, and the second thing is, rehearse what God has done, not the problem. Rehearse what God has done, not the problem you're in. What do we rehearse in our minds? All the things that could go wrong, all the things that were said and shouldn't have been said, right? We rehearse the problem. We need to rehearse what God has done. That comes with the declarations. That comes with the like planting his word in your heart. Like what has God done? You got to plant your, you got to plant your flag there. In Matthew 6, John the Baptist, who lived this radical life, proclaimed Jesus, right? Saw, baptized all these people, like lived a powerful life in the Lord, right? In John 6, he's in prison um, and he's going to be beheaded. We know now. And and he says this, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. When John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. Right? Because in John's circumstance, he's in prison. And he was like, this is not what it was supposed to look like. I'm supposed to make straight the way of the Lord. <laughs> right? Jesus is going to come in power. And he finds himself in prison with death, like right around the corner. And he begins to, he, are you the one? Because this isn't what it was supposed to look like for me if you're the one. Right? And what does Jesus say? Here's what God is doing. Right? The deaf hear. The lame walk. The dead are raised. You've got to focus. You can't focus on the thing that's not done. You can't focus on the part that's hard. You've got to keep rehearsing. What is he doing? What has he done? That's where you've got to live. That's how you stay in a place of hope when you're walking through difficulty. Right? If you don't stay conscious of God... And the impossible, you'll reduce every situation to what you can produce. As Betty quoted, that's so good. Um, but that's the truth. If I don't stay conscious of him and what he has done and his greatness, it'll come back down to what I can control. And now I'm right back in the pit, right? And then the third thing, move to faith, which is specific, right? So hope says God, can't, God can do it. Faith says he will do it. And so when you move from hope to faith, there's this sense of God is at work in the situation. And now I begin to say, God, what do you want to do? And in that process, I surrender my dreams. I surrender my ideas of how it has to work. I surrender my right preconceived things that I brought to him and said, do it like this, God. When I move from hope to faith and begin to believe specifically, I begin to believe according to his will and not my will. Are you with me? I had a friend who, she had it in her heart. She, um, she felt like she was supposed to do a blog and reach lots of people, and that didn't really work out. Three people would read her stuff, if any, right? And then she was going to do a vlog, and then, like, nobody would watch her videos. And she was like, but I feel like God's telling me, like, I should have a ministry like Christine Kane, you know, who's got, like, a million followers or whatever, you know? So she had this idea in her heart of what it had to look like. And everything she tried that looked like what somebody else did didn't work. A year later, I talked to her again, and she was just so full and doing so good. And she had decided that there was a, um, 
there was an old folks home near her and she would just go and she'd sit with some older people. She'd read the word to them. She'd minister to them. She had like three people she would talk to. Um, it started, I mean, the way it started, she was invited into it, but that's what she began to do and she was so full. And I was like, do you think maybe this is the thing that God has put in your heart to do? Because there's joy in this. <laughs> you had no joy when you were vlogging. <laughs> you had no joy when you were blogging. You had no joy when you were doing all that other stuff, Right? What God put in her heart is this sense of she wanted to do something significant for him, right? And so she had a picture of what that has to look like, Christine Kane. But that wasn't what God had for her, at least in that season, right? So we can have preconceived ideas of what things have to look like. When we move from hope, God's in this, then we're going to say, God, what are you specifically? How are you specifically asking me to partner with you? And in that process, we die to old dreams and old visions of how it had to be, and we begin to partner with the steps that he has ordered for us. Are you with me? And now we've held, we're holding on to something. We're making that declaration over that thing. We're, right, we're going after it. We're going to see this thing done because we have said, God, show me where you're working and I'm going to partner with you. Right? All those old visions of how it had to look were keeping us in the pit. Right? But his vision, his plans he's made for us, nobody can thwart. Would you stand? Worship team, would you come on up? We're going to take some time to respond to him in hope. Amen? He's so good. His word says where two or three are gathered, he is here with us. Where we are gathered in his name, at least two or three of us have gathered in his name. Amen? So he's here. He is present now. The God who spoke the world into being is present in this house with us now. So whatever you came in the house with, put it before him. There's concerns on your heart. There's areas where you need to stir up hope. Maybe there's other situations entirely you need him to touch. Man, let's take a minute. Let's take a minute as we end in worship and let's take some time to bring those things to him. If you're like, man, I don't have anything like that, man, then just worship. Then just worship. He's so worthy. Prayer team, come on up. There'll be folks that are here on either side that can pray for you. There'll be folks in back that can pray for you. Um, so if you want prayer, come and get it. There's something about stepping out of your seat and actually taking action that really does shift your heart in a really good way. So I would encourage you, come and get prayer. You can also pray with any believer near you because we all have the king without measure. But let's take some time to respond to him and let him stir up hope. Amen. Let him break up the fallow ground and plant good seeds of hope. Amen? Amen, God. We set our hearts on you right now. We lift our hands to you, Jesus. Begin to fill us with your hope and your life, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We set our minds on you. Thank you, Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. Oh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. Come on, sing that. Oh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. Come 
on, lift your hands. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. Come on, sing out. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of
there's no other name like yours Jesus like yours Jesus but there's no other name there's no other name like yours Jesus like yours is your platform, Jesus. Have your way. Have your way. Thank you.
are completely open to you, Jesus. You have your way. Lord of all, sing hallelujah. 
Before we pray together and have our benediction, just let's take just a minute. If you just bow your heads, you don't mind closing your eyes. I just, just want to ask a question in the house. If you're here and you know you are far from God, you wouldn't be here if something in you wasn't reaching for him, right? And I don't want to leave today without giving you a chance to make that relationship right. You don't make that relationship right by coming to church. You don't do it by doing better things or stop doing bad things. Here's how it happens. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We get saved by not trying harder. We get saved by surrendering to him. We repent of our sins. God, we know we've been wrong. And now we surrender our life to you. You are Lord. I've been in control, but I'm surrendering my life to you. You are Lord. I believe. I believe you died. You rose again for me. You paid the price for my sins to reconcile me and you. So I repent of those sins. I turn to you now as Lord. That's it. That's it. You can come to church for 30 years and never be saved. Just try to do better things. But in that moment of surrender, the Bible tells us, Romans chapter 5, chapter 6, that in that moment where you say, you are Lord, I repent of my sins, you are Lord, it says the bondage of sin is broken in your life and the spirit of Christ comes to dwell within you. Everything changes. Everything changes. It's a change you cannot make. It's a change you cannot make by all the good works in the world. And so I just want to give opportunity today. If you're here and you're like, I need that. <laughs> That's what I'm here to do today. I was looking for it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. While people have their heads bowed and their eyes closed, you just raise your hand. That's you. That's you. You're in the house. That's you. I don't want to leave without giving you a chance to come into a relationship with the living God. So good. If that's you, any one of these folks, there's guys in back, Matt's back there, Greg's back there, they can pray with you. The ladies up here can pray with you. If that's you, any believer near you can pray with you, they know what to do. 
but don't leave until you have sealed that deal. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. So if that's you, this is your day. Any believer near you can pray with you. If you pray with somebody, there are books up here, little I'm a new creation book. Make sure they get one so they can begin to grow in the Lord. But it just feels like salvation's in the house, you know? There's just times where God's doing different things, and there's times where it feels like, man, salvation's in the house. Anybody else feel that? It just feels heavy like salvation's in the house. So let's, come on, come on. I'm going to give you a chance. Maybe uh, as we do our benediction, if you're sitting near someone, you could just ask them, hey, is that you? I'll pray with you. Let's make sure. Eternity is so important. I don't want to overlook that today. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and all the glory <laughs> forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you.